welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So if you remember anything from this Easter service, perhaps you would remember this very important theological fact that John is faster than Peter. He had to mention it twice just so we would know for sure that he beat Peter to the tomb. But he's he's a humble man, so he concedes the fact that although he beat Peter to the tomb, Peter's actually the first one that went inside. I absolutely love the detail that John's gospel provides about the resurrection. A couple other details of note is Jesus, upon coming back to life, apparently he took the time to neatly fold up his face cloth, which I think that's where the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness comes from. And then also, he provides this really dumbfounding information in my mind. So they go to the empty tomb, and then what does it tell us they do? They go home. That's it. They don't panic. They don't look around for him. They just, well, he's not here. Let's go home. And if you keep reading in chapter 20 of John's gospel, then you'll notice that whereas John and Peter leave, Mary Magdalene actually stays, and her devotion pays off because the risen Christ first reveals himself to her. And so for a second time, Mary's got to go run and find the guys because they're nowhere to be found so that she can tell them this fantastic news. And the fact that there's this level of detail and that a woman is shown to play such a crucial role helps um, prove the veracity of the resurrection. Because if you're making up a story, then the less details that you include means the less chance you get caught in a lie. Also, in that era, in that area of the world, if you're making up a story, you simply do not put the woman as the hero of that story, especially Mary Magdalene with her sordid past. She's the first person to ever preach the message of the risen Christ. You just can't make this stuff up. Most people have rejected Jesus not because they've examined the evidence and found it wanting. Most people have rejected Jesus because they simply have not examined the evidence at all. So it's important this morning that we begin with just some of the evidence. First, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They appeared, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So first, Paul just succinctly lays out the gospel message. But then he starts naming names. He's saying to the first readers, listen, here's the deal. Jesus rose from the dead. And if you want to check that, then you can go ask Peter or any of the other disciples. And if you don't believe those 12 loonies, 
then guess what? There's 500 people that also saw Jesus, and most of them are still alive. You can go find those guys. And if, if that doesn't satisfy you, then you can go to Peter, and you can always ask me, because it happened. And if I lived during that time, I'm a logical guy. I'm going to go find some of these people, and I'm going to ask them, and I'm going to see if their stories lined up. And I would imagine some people had to do that, right? Some people had to go ask the eyewitnesses. And if this was a lie, if this was a legend, then there's just no way that the Christian faith would have exploded in growth the way that it did. Here's another very convincing piece of data point for you. The disciples took it to the grave. They died for it. You don't die for a hoax. You don't die for a hallucination. You don't die for a fairy tale. Surely one of the disciples would have recanted the story. I mean, look at our current culture. We've got people right now who are just falling all over themselves to plead guilty for college admission scandals and political deceit just so they can have a few less months in jail. And here are these disciples who are willing to be tortured and executed for the belief in the resurrection. And here's the final proof that I offer for you this morning. Seated in this sanctuary are men and women who can testify to the power of the risen Christ and how he has transformed their lives. We can know that Jesus is alive not only because of historical and biblical facts, we can know because he has worked in the lives of his people that he is alive right now and that he is present here in this place. So let me remind you of something I said on Christmas Eve. When preparing a message, a preacher should ask himself or herself, what does the church have to say that no one else is saying? What makes the church unique and different from the rest of the world? You aren't going to find the Easter message anywhere else. The Orthodox Christian faith says you will hear that, that God is the creator who became flesh, He lived a perfect, sinless life among his sinful people. He died on our behalf as the only atoning and sufficient sacrifice that he rose from the dead three days later, and now he is seated in glory in the throne in heaven. I work with younger generations, and they use the word literally way too much, right? But I'm going to try to use it in the correct way. Jesus Christ literally lived. Jesus Christ literally died. And Jesus Christ was literally resurrected. And that's crazy. Like that's outlandish. You know, that is just so astounding and unthinkable. It's unlike anything else. And yet it is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. Tim Keller tells us exactly why. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. It either happened and it changes everything, or it didn't happen and it changes nothing.
So this morning, whether you have been a lifelong follower of Jesus, whether you're a relatively new convert, or you're on the fence, or you're cynical, or you're seeking, or you're an outright opponent, whether you're here because this is your favorite day of the year or because your mom, your dad, your kid, your neighbor, someone dragged you here, it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey, and it doesn't matter why you're here right now, the same is still true. Jesus is real, Jesus is present, and Jesus came for you. You already heard the account of Jesus' resurrection from the book of John, but that's not the only such occasion that a dead man is raised to life in John's gospel. So please turn in a Bible or Bible app to John eleven seventeen. If you're using a pew Bible, you can turn to page 897. Now I warn you, this passage is a long one, and it's not necessarily what you're used to hearing on an Easter Sunday, but it also speaks about the power that Jesus has over death. And it speaks to the hope that is found in him alone. This is the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Pay attention to the, to the details as you hear and read God's word. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak like only you can speak as we gather here? God, would you tune our ears to hear your voice? God, would you tune our hearts so that we might experience the fullness that you have for us. May the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place. Amen. Beginning in John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going through the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And skipping down to verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is not just a miracle. It's a signpost. It's intended to teach us about who Jesus is and who we are. So first, who is Jesus? Jesus is God with us. The Bible and Jesus simply do not leave us any room to, to call him just a prophet or a moral teacher or a rabbi. Yes, he is absolutely all of those things, but he is much more. In Exodus 3, Moses encounters God on a mountain, and Moses, being the practical man that he is, he, he asks God, hey, what's your name? So I can go tell the, the Israelites. And God responds from the burning bush, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's doing something very important here, and he does it time and time again. He also says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am who I am. Jesus is claiming to be God. And if Jesus is God in the flesh, then that means we have a God who is close to us. We have a God who humbled himself and became human in order to experience life the way that we experience it. And that's so apparent when Lazarus dies because Jesus weeps for him. Jesus is able to empathize with Mary and Martha and everyone else who is mourning. He knows how they feel because he feels that way too. And some of the bystanders even say, see how he loved him. Showing up is an essential component of love. Some of you might remember a story I shared over a year ago. I was finishing up seminary, sitting on a couch reading a book in Pasadena, and it just came like a flash and just started suffocating me. It's the worst panic attack I've ever had in my life. And the only thing I was able to do in that moment was reach for a phone and call a friend. And that friend came rushing over, and he just sat beside me. He didn't say anything. He just sat there with me. He was close to me. That's the kind of love God shows us. It's approximate love. It's a love that's close to us. God knows us in every possible way, and he still shows up. And that's the desire of our hearts. 
Every single one of us wants to be fully known, fully exposed, and yet still fully loved. And that leads to the next thing that this passage reveals. Who are we? So oftentimes we read the Bible and we put ourselves in the place of one of the people in the narrative. And if you're me, you always, like whoever the hero is, like that's, that's who I am, right? Like I'm John because I got to the, the tomb faster. But who are we in the text from this morning? We're Lazarus. A few weeks ago, I flew home to Virginia because my mom is dying. She's been sick for a long time. She's frail. She's in pain, and I would say that she is suffering. But I am not alone in this unfortunate reality. If your mom is alive, then she's dying. Your dad's dying. Your child's dying. You're dying. I'm dying. All right, happy Easter. (laughs) Come on. This is supposed to be the celebration service, right? Here's the deal. The bad news is what makes the good news so great. And so we've got to talk about it. The reality is that we all end up with the same result of death because of the way we have contributed to the brokenness of the world. We've sinned against God, we've sinned against one another, and the Bible tells us that the payment for our sins is death. There's no way around it, and there's no way that we can fix it ourselves. So there's no medication, there's no essential oil, there's no yoga pose, There's no level of intellect, there's no amount of money that is going to stop this inevitability from happening. So let's return again to the pivotal quote of Jesus from this morning's passage. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, God with us, is the source of life, and as such, there is nothing that is more upsetting to him than death. It is counter to his very nature. The text tells us that Jesus is deeply moved and greatly troubled by the death of his friend. He hates death. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus jumps into action and he brings Lazarus back to life. But then what happens? Verse 53 says that from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Jesus knew that raising Lazarus from the dead would ultimately set into motion the events that lead to his own death. And he does it anyway. He does it anyway because he loves us and he hates death. And so God defeated death and that is why we are gathered here this morning. But how did he do it? So I have a little illustration for you. I have two awesome sons. I have an 11-month-old named Judah, and Judah's sick right now, and it's really sad um, because he's got like puffy, teary eyes, and he has this cough all night, and it hurts my soul. Um, And then Silas turns three on Wednesday, and he's not sick. He's just a toddler. And um, 
he does toddler things. And so he's pushing, he's pushing boundaries in a variety of ways. And normally by his very nature, Silas is the cautious one. But uh, we live over uh, on the other side of town and he loves to stand on the top of 4th Avenue down towards Pebble Beach and he gets on the dirt path and he's on his scooter and he just bombs down the hill and he doesn't know how to brake. So it's not a good recipe. Like he either falls or he just puts his foot, you should see his right foot. Like his shoe is just to a nub. It's completely, he just uses that as his brake. And sometimes he, he falls hard and he scrapes his knee. And so as the dad, I have to bring him home and I have to attend to his wound. And so we have lots of these laying around our house. They're, they're nice white burp claws. If you have kids, you've, you know and recognize these. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll take one of these and I make sure they're clean. I take a clean white cloth and I begin to pat it on his knee or wherever he's bleeding. And then what happens? That thing that is pristine and white and clean becomes blood-soaked. Because in order for something to become clean, something else has to get dirty. For you and I to get clean, Jesus had to get dirty. The blameless Son of God paid the price for you on the cross. He died for you. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about how much he loves you and how worth it you are. But we do not serve a God who is dead. Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and life, and that is what he proved himself to be. The grave could not hold him. On Easter morning, Christ was victorious, and he puts death to death. And that did two amazing things for all of us. First, it gives us a hope and a future with God in heaven. The Bible teaches us that in heaven, every tear will be wiped away. Every imperfection, every ailment, every insecurity, inadequacy, they will be eliminated. There will be no more death. All who trust in Jesus will be living resurrected lives with him for all of eternity. But Jesus accomplished something else that is very important. The resurrection provides for us meaning in our present bodily lives. Who we are and what we do have immense value because we have an eternal future. The resurrection gives our lives purpose because we know that this is not the end. We know that all of this is not random. I think that this is really what a lot of you need to hear today. The gospel is not something that you should simply consider later on down the road as your death might seem more inevitable or imminent. The gospel is for here and now. Jesus wants you to experience life in abundance here and now the way he intended it to be in relationship with him. Look at what is said as Lazarus emerges from the tomb. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Is that you? Do you need to be set free? Jesus is calling for you and he is saying, come out of that grave. Live in freedom. He is making that offer to you because he's the only one who can. He's the resurrected and living Lord. Easter is a celebration. It celebrates the dead coming to life. It celebrates the fact that Jesus says, unbind him. Unbind her. Let him go. Let her go. Heaven would love nothing more than to see you choose life right now. And so there's a connect card in every bulletin. And if you didn't get one, there's one um, in the pew right in front of you. And on the back of the connect card, it asks this question, what is your next step? And here's the deal. If you've experienced anything tugging at your heart, I'm going to name that. It's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself coming after you. And my encouragement to you is don't delay. Accept his free offer now. He says that he's the resurrection and the life. The life is here and now. He wants you to live life to the full. He wants you to live a life of freedom, of unbridled joy, and only he can give you access to that kind of life. So what is your next step? Perhaps you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time, or perhaps you've wandered away and you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Don't worry, we're Presbyterian, we're not gonna make you stand up and come forward unless you want to. Anyone? I'm not afraid. The reason we want you to indicate it is because the pastors, the staff, the leaders of this church want to celebrate with you. We want to be a resource to you. And this is the exact reason why we do what we do, is that dead lives would be resurrected and that people would live lives of hope. We want to see that here today. And that's what heaven wants too. Let's pray. Living and resurrected Lord, you are our only hope. Your love for us gives our lives significance. Your sacrifice on our behalf cleanses and restores us. God, would you speak clearly to our hearts and give us the boldness of faith to say yes to whatever you have for us. You are good. You are kind, you are merciful, you are gracious. Breathe spirit-filled life into each of us so that we might live in freedom as your precious sons and daughters. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.